I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. Humicide's human acellular vessels are experimental, engineered, off-the-shelf replacement vessels that are being developed for vascular repair, reconstruction, and replacement. The vessels are designed to overcome long-standing limitations in vessel tissue repair and replacement. Though not yet approved, the manufactured vessels are getting a real-world test as the Company has been providing them to hospitals in Ukraine to treat wounded civilians and soldiers with vascular injuries. We spoke to Lauren Nicholson, CEO of Humasite, about the company's human acellular vessels, how they're produced, and the potential needs they can address. Laura, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you, Danny, for having me. It's great to be here. We're going to talk about humocyte, its human acellular vessels, and how these experimental regenerative medicine products have made their way to assist the war effort in Ukraine. Let's start with the need you're addressing with your bioengineered human acellular vessels. What's the need these can potentially address, and what's the range of circumstances under which they might be used? Well, Danny, um, as many of us know, you know, vascular disease, diseases of the arteries, is probably the biggest killer in the Western world, in the United States, Europe, and elsewhere. Um, Vascular diseases include heart disease, like heart attacks. It also includes uh, peripheral vascular disease. Um, It includes large vessel disease and small vessel disease. Um, in addition to those diseases, there, there's also vascular injuries that occur, you know, in civilian life, in car accidents, or, or also in, in wartime with, with traumatic war injuries. So a- anytime there's a severe disease or an injury of an, of an artery or a blood vessel, that vessel typically needs to be replaced. And really the only way to do that now is to kind of rob Peter to pay Paul. In other words, in many cases, we wind up stealing a vein from someplace else in the patient's body and moving it over to where the injured vessel or artery is. What Humocytes technology has the capacity to do is to make engineered arteries that are human, that are human tissue, but they're available off the shelf, which means that when a surgeon needs to repair or replace an artery, whether it's in the leg or in the arm or due to an injury or what have you, the surgeon can reach up on the shelf and, and pull this engineered artery down rather than um, having to cut the patient open somewhere else and steal a vein and then move that over. Well, what are the limitations of the existing approaches and what are the, the challenges of using a patient's own vessel from one part of the body to place in another? Well, there's a couple of limitations uh, for this for this current approach of sort of stealing veins from one part of the body. One is that, you know, as you might imagine, um, it sometimes happens that when a vein is taken out of somebody's leg or their arm, 
they have complications from that. The wound cannot heal. They can get swelling. They can get infection. They can have discomfort long term. But in addition, there are many patients, uh, patients with with varicose veins, patients with who've had their veins harvested for other procedures, for example, who might might need a vessel repair or replacement, who frankly just don't have veins that are up to the job. So so those are some limitations of using vein. Um, There are also synthetic materials out there, like plastic tubes made out of Teflon, for example. And sometimes these are used to replace arteries as well. But it's well known that that for smaller blood vessels, like the arteries on the heart, these synthetic uh, plastic grafts really don't work well at all. In fact, they're basically never used. And even for larger vessels in, in the legs and arms, they're used, but only grudgingly, because, because frankly, they don't work that well in the long term. So humocytes technology is really designed to provide a human tissue that we essentially grow from scratch, uh, but that we manufacture in such a way so that it's non-immunogenic. So the human arteries that we grow can go into any patient uh, without rejection. Walk me through the process of making these vessels. How are they produced? Well, our engineering process for making the human acellular vessels really starts with human cells. So we've accumulated over more than a decade a really extensive cell bank of vascular human cells. Um, And we use these cells as the starting material or the building blocks for making our engineered tissues in our manufacturing suite. Basically, every time we want to essentially grow a new batch of tissues, we take a small vial of cells out of our, out of our cryo freezers, and we thaw those cells out, and we, we grow them um, in, our, in our specialized process, which allows us to grow large numbers of cells and then use these cells by seeding them onto uh, what we call a scaffold. And the scaffold uh, is an important part of the process. It's a, it's a, it's a microscopic sort of polymer um, uh, form or shape so that when we seed the cells onto the scaffold, the, the cells grow and form a tissue that's the same size and shape of the scaffold that we, that, that we made. So if we want to grow a 40 centimeter long artery that's, six millimeters in diameter. We, we create a scaffold that has those dimensions and we put cells on it. And over time, the cells fill in the scaffold and create a new artery in those dimensions. Be- because of the way we make it, we can make tissues in different shapes and sizes. And that allows us in the long term to address a large number of clinical problems. And, and how standardized are the end products? Well, we've been fortunate um, after a lot of uh, after a lot of work. We've been working on this manufacturing process now for more than 15 years. Um, We've gotten it to be fairly standardized. So we have a very standardized cell bank and we have a very standardized process for seeding the cells onto the scaffold, making the scaffolds and then seeding the cells on and growing, growing the cells to form an artery. Um, in fact, our, our product has a very high degree of reproducibility, which is actually much higher than surgeons are used to seeing, for example, when they harvest vein from a patient. So 
if from patient to patient to patient, every time a surgeon harvests a vein from a new patient, he sort of, he gets an, he gets a new vessel. It can be bigger, fatter, it can have valves, it can have branches. Uh, our vessel is, is pretty much the same every time. You refer to the vessels you grow as acellular as part of the process of creating these once they're formed, you decellularize them. What exactly does that mean, and, and why do you do that? So all of the tissues in our body have basically two parts. They have cells, which we all know about, and then they also have what's called extracellular matrix. And these are proteins like collagen that really form the backbone and the structure of all of our tissues. So, for example, uh, our tissues like skin or blood vessel or even our bones, all of those tissues have cells in them. But what really gives the mechanical character, like the mechanical strength to our tissues, is not so much the cells, but the matrix that they make, like, like collagen. So when we grow our engineered arteries, <clears throat> what we do is we grow the cells in a specific shape. But while the cells are growing, they also secrete a tremendous amount of collagenous extracellular matrix. In fact, it's about 40 or 50 matrix molecules that these cells make. In the end, when we decellularize the artery and rinse the cells away, what we're doing is we're rinsing away the parts of the tissue that can create an immune response. So what we've seen in over 460 patients that have gotten the HAV is we've never seen a single episode of what we would call clinical rejection. These tissues are simply not rejected because we wash away the parts of the tissue that the, that the human immune system might, might recognize. And what indications are you pursuing for these? Well, right now, uh, the HAV is being studied in two phase three trials. One is in the treatment of vascular trauma which uh, is part of what led us to, to think that, uh, that it might be useful to send the HAV to Ukraine to help with patients who are suffering vascular trauma there. But, but, our, but our clinical trial is active in the U.S. and Europe in trauma. And in addition, we have another phase three trial in patients with kidney failure who are on hemodialysis. And those patients often need essentially an artificial blood vessel that's connected to an artery in a vein that can allow them to undergo hemodialysis three times a week. So we're looking at those two indications, but we've also got earlier stage trials underway in peripheral arterial disease. And what's known about your vessels in terms of their safety and efficacy from studies that have been done to date? Well, again, we have multiple trials underway, and so we're still collecting data. But what we know so far is that the HAV is very durable. Um, we have some patients who've been using our HAV for hemodialysis, for example, uh, for more than nine years now. And it's important to note that when a patient gets our vessel for hemodialysis, that vessel gets punctured with needles three times a week. Um, every week for years. And these vessels seem to be able to withstand that, which I think is a real testament to the durability of the tissue. We also know that these vessels seem to resist infection. So we've, we've had these vessels implanted in multiple scenarios where there were contaminated wounds or infected wounds, for example. 
And in most cases, the HAV seems to resist infection. Um, and we believe that that property stems from the fact that this is a tissue. It's not an artificial implant. It's not a piece of plastic. So we're hoping that these qualities of durability and resistance to infection will help the product be really useful in situations like acute vascular injury and war in the Ukraine. How does the FDA regulate these products and, and what's the development path forward for you? Well, our engineered blood vessels, um, even though they're a physical tissue that, that physically gets implanted and, and as I say to people, surgeons, surgeons sew these in with needle and thread, um, in fact, we're regulated as a biologic. So we're regulated by that part of the FDA that regulates, for example, all of the COVID vaccines and uh, therapeutic proteins and antibodies. Uh, the Center for Biologics also regulates a small number of engineered tissues, and, and we fall in that category as well. So because we're regulated as a biologic, um, our clinical development pathway really mimics that of other biologic uh, 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 products, which means that we've gone through early stage and now pivotal stage uh, phase three trials. And as part of getting approval, we would hope to file our first biologics licensing application, or BLA, uh, probably at the end of this year. Even though you don't yet have approval, you began shipping these last month for humanitarian use in the war in Ukraine. How did this come about, and how much regulatory and governmental navigation did you need to go through? So yes, th this has been a, a very interesting journey, and I think the story is still being told. Um, but th this really began by a request that we got from one surgeon in the Ukraine in March. Um, he had heard about the HAV from some surgical colleagues who he knew in Poland, because we've done, again, we've been doing clinical trials in Europe for quite some time. And uh, we have a number of sites in Poland, which is near the Ukraine, um, which have used the HAV. So this surgeon reached out and then quickly other surgeons in about a dozen, dozen other hospitals did as well. So, you know, of course, Humocyte wanted to do everything in the proper way. And so um, we had multiple interactions with the Food and Drug Administration, particularly their international office, and worked with them to get clearance in order to ship the product out of the country and into Europe for this, for this uh, purpose. In addition, we had a lot of conversations with the Ukrainian Ministry of Health, um, teaching them about the technology um, and, and, have, and allowing them to understand how the HAV works and, and how it would be used in patients. And after several weeks of conversations with them, they issued a letter um, saying that essentially they gave clearance for us to ship the product into the country. And then thirdly, we had to work on logistics, um, as you would imagine, Flying medical products into a conflict area like Ukraine is non-trivial, um, and so we wanted to make sure that 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 was done smoothly. And then, lastly, um, the, the training piece is an important piece. So we've put together a large number of training materials, uh, many of them in Ukrainian, and we've hosted um, virtual training sessions for surgeons um, who are going to get access to the HAV. So it's been a, really a multi-step process. Um, of course, we're not charging for this. Um, this is not a clinical trial. This is a humanitarian effort. 
but we wanted to make sure that we undertook this uh, in the best possible way. While it's a humanitarian effort, I, I suspect there's an opportunity, though, to gather data and learn from this real-world use of the vessels. Is anything being done to gather data? Well, yes. So we're that's certainly our goal is to understand as much as we can about how patients who get the HAV, how they fare, what their outcomes are, if there are any complications. And so we've certainly communicated with all of the surgeons who are doing these implants um, to provide uh, any any follow-up that they have. And we've provided them with sort of simple questionnaires so that we can get some of that information uh, on board. Because you're right, this is, um, this is the ultimate in, in, a, in a real world situation uh, where we're trying to help. Um, but we can help best if we understand how the product is doing. And so we're going to make every effort to, to gather that information. Umicide is also looking at using its vessels to engineer biovascular pancreas to deliver islet cells to produce insulin in people with type 1 diabetes. Can you explain how this works? Yes, the biovascular pancreas idea is, is, is sort of exciting, um, and it's certainly been enchanting for the company as we've begun to work on it, um, but it is a little bit of an out-of-the-box concept. So, um, so as, as I'm sure you know, patients with type 1 diabetes become diabetic because their own immune system attacks their own islet cells, and so their own islets in their pancreas can't make insulin anymore because the cells are killed off. Transplanting a whole pancreas to try to replace those islets is a difficult and dangerous procedure, and it's done less and less every year. So over the last 10 or 20 years, there's been a lot of effort directed at taking islets out of a pancreas, the little tiny collections of cells that make insulin, and deliver, delivering those islets to patients with type 1 diabetes. The problem, well, there have been multiple uh, clinical problems with this. Sometimes it works, but sometimes it, it doesn't work very well. And one of the biggest limitations is the fact that these little islets are very energetic creatures and they need lots of, lots of oxygen and lots of glucose, lots of sugar uh, in order to survive. And finding a way to deliver a sufficient number of islets to a patient and to expose them to enough oxygen and glucose so that they can survive inside the patient. That's been a real challenge. And so what we're excited about with the HAV is that we think it's sort of a uh, ideally crafted delivery vehicle uh, because we found that we can take our engineered vessel that we make now, which is 40 centimeters long, and we can coat the outside of that vessel with islets. And by doing that, and then sewing that vessel into the, uh, into the arm, just like we do for our dialysis patients, we're predicting that, that all of the islets on the surface of this vessel will be able to survive. They'll get enough oxygen, they'll get enough glucose, and they'll be able to sense blood sugar and secrete insulin for the patient. So this is really a delivery vehicle um, that brings islets very close to the blood circulation because... Over the past, you know, 10, 20 years, we've gotten pretty good at putting conduits in the blood circulation. We're, we're pretty good at that. And so using this to, to deliver islets and maybe other therapeutic cells is something that Humicide is very excited about. Is the expectation that that would have to be replenished every so often? That's a very good question. It's really not clear how long the islets would survive. 
Um, there's no inherent reason to to think that they would have a, a finite lifespan. Um, and, and I think that we're just going to have to do the large animal and the clinical trials to understand that. But there's no fundamental reason why these islets should die over time, for example, unless unless they were rejected. I mean, there's the immune part of this, which, of course, we'll have to deal with. And, and this would be a transplant. You know, delivering islets to any patient is always a transplant. So there's that risk always. Um, but aside from that, there, there's nothing fundamental that should limit the survival of the islets in this construct. And where are your regards into development? When might you be in the clinic with us? Well, this is one of our earliest uh, platform items. Uh, so we are still uh, not in, we've performed small animals experiments and a lot of laboratory and modeling experiments. But we need to confirm that with large animal studies, which we plan to initiate later this year. After a, a small series of large animal studies, we would then expect to go into phase one in man. In February 2021, Umasite raised $275 million by going public through a $100 million merger with a SPAC and completing $175 million private financing. How far will this funding take you? So we were very excited and grateful to do that financing in 2021. Um, as, as we all know, the, the, the markets recently in biotechnology have, have uh, sort of taken a hit. I think there's a lot of macroeconomic factors such as inflation and the war in Ukraine that, that are impacting investor confidence. But, but Humicite feels very fortunate that we did the, the fundraising when we did. The, the current cash that we have, given our, given our current cash burn and projected expenses, should take us through the end of 2024, uh, which is more than enough to get us through our first one or two product approvals um, and into commercialization. So again, we, uh, we're, we're sitting on, on, a, on a fairly good cash runway, uh, which we're very grateful for. Humicide is trading near a 52-week low. It's down with the rest of the sector. What's the conversation like with investors these days, and, and what do you tell them? Well, it, it, uh, it's an interesting set of conversations. I mean, certainly anybody who's savvy about the market and has been watching the events of the last six to eight months understands that, uh, that large biotech uh, investment funds have pulled a lot of money out of the market because the, uh, many of them sustained large losses even in 2021. Um, some some investment funds were down 20, 30, 40 percent. And so to cover those losses, a lot of money came out of the biotech market and that drove share prices down for everyone. Um, you know, again, I think Humicide is in a good position uh, because we have this cash runway in hand. Uh, we've been generally meeting our milestones and essentially delivering on what we said we would do. Our clinical trials are moving forward. Our regulatory strategy is moving forward. Our commercial development strategy is moving forward. And uh, so, frankly, we are what we tell investors and analysts is that we're executing. We're keeping our heads down. We're doing what we said we would do. Um, the, the, the story had tremendous value in 2021, and it still has the same value now, even if the market undervalues it. So I, you know, Humicite's a great buy <laughs> and uh, we're cheap now. And so that's what I tell investors is that, you know, the, the share price doesn't reflect what the company's doing. It reflects what the markets are doing. 
Lauren Nicholson, co-founder and CEO of Umasite. Laura, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you, Danny. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send an email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.